Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Sin's Chat Corner. It's a very special event this evening because most of you do know that I do not usually broadcast for an evening broadcast unless it's someone very special or very important. Tonight, that criteria holds to my guest more than I can even begin to describe. I'm so excited, and it's not very often that I get this excited. I mean, I love what I do, but this is a very excited interview. Uh, Director John Gallagher is going to be our special guest this evening at 6 o'clock Central Time, um, which uh, it is right now. So before we get him on the air, let me just cover a quick few show details. First of all, I want to remind everybody, 3 o'clock Central Standard Time tomorrow, Sisters of Grace is going to come on our show. These are the nuns that have established a new website in New York City trying to do a bunch of new things about climate change and control. So I'm very excited to be speaking with them Thursday, 3 o'clock Central Standard Time here in Sims Check Corner. Friday, I'm taking the day off. Yeah, right, because I never take the day off, but I am taking the day off to try to get my storefront ready, of course. And as we all know, I'm going to start shooting uh, my teaser videos on April 12th for my new film. And then, of course, we're going to start the actual cameras rolling at the end of this month in April. So very excited. To those of you who haven't checked it out as of yet, Brazen Biker Babes is the name of my movie. Um, It's a working title. Let's not even pay attention to it for right now, but please go check it out. Please like it, and please support it if you can. So without further ado, I have John on the line, so let's get rolling and see what we can find out about Mr. Gallagher. Cindy, how are you? Hi, John. Oh, I'm nervous. How are you? Why are you nervous? Oh, my God. Why, you want to be in the movie? I can't even stand it. No. <laughs> if you would pass me, I'd be like, yay, I'm right here. <laughs> no, you're a big deal. You are I'm a big, a big deal in my parents' I can't house. Even stand it. Oh, my God. You are a big deal. Huge deal. <laughs> Huge. We're going to cover so much of you. You are going to be, like, sick of yourself by the time that we're done. Oh, so, terrific. Get comfortable. <laughs> I have very good I... questions. At least I think you're very good questions. So we'll see. Um, I I kind of want to start off with one of the things that you and I had talked about um, actually in our cardinal telephone call between the two of us. Yeah. It involved a statement that surrounded this thesis that I'll share with everyone else, which is my belief is an exact and an accurate assessment of actors, both part and parcel, involves studying both their past and prevailing performances. And I think I mentioned that to you on the phone. Very um, much I so. believe... Oh, yes. The identical ideology applies to Seskins in all sorts of areas. So, of course, obviously, we're going to direct it right to you, John. Maybe you can tell our audience a little bit of some of your earlier endeavors and then compare creatively, competence-wise, versus then and now the changes that have gone on, um, what you took from the past that kind of brought you to the present in terms of who you are now. Well, you know, I, uh, as a kid growing up in outside New York City, you know, that was before the days of video and uh, Turner Classic Movies. But local TV did play a lot of pictures, Hollywood classics from the 30s and 40s. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents who, you know, were in their prime during that era. So um, I got to know these films. Uh, we used to... Uh, we we moved uh, quite a bit when I was a kid, and I was I was always the new kid in school. But Gary Cooper and Spencer Tracy and Clark Gable and John Wayne, they were always my friends, no matter where we lived. And so I fell in love with these pictures. I actually went so far as to tape record the credits off the TV, write them down on an index card and then write down interesting shots, thoughts about the movie. Now I'm talking seven, eight, nine years old. My parents would let me 
set the alarm clock for 2 o'clock in the morning to watch Citizen Kane or the Marx Brothers. And without realizing it, without planning, I gave myself an education into our film legacy. Now, some people call it movie trivia. Uh, It's not trivia. It's history. And if one is uh, an actor or a writer or or a filmmaker or aspires to do any of those things, you have to know what came before. Just as if, you know, if you're a writer, you read Shakespeare and Fitzgerald and Angelou, and if you're a politician, you study, you know, Roosevelt and Kennedy or whoever you study, we have to know what's come before history repeats itself um you know there's nothing uh that hasn't been done really in in terms of uh you know story wise the technology certainly changes and and makes it easier if anything for anyone to create these days it's it's insane when i started you needed you know film and laboratories and negatives and flatbeds at Steenbeck's, and today, people, a friend of mine uh, had a sensational success at Sundance making a feature film called Tangerine that was shot on his iPhone. So it is a, oh. a whole new world, technically, but at the end of the day, you still have to care about the characters in, in the movie, um, and also, for many other reasons, I tell uh, the actors that I teach and the directors that I teach, uh, you know, this is a very difficult business, as we know, but on a day that's not going so so well, you know, watch uh, Giulietta Messina in Fellini's Knights of Cabiria, and it will uplift you. You know, so, so the study of our film legacy of our vintage cinema, it, it entertains us, it informs us, enlightens us, and inspires us. And, you know, there's very few things in life that do all those things. And certainly uh, a great motion picture, you know, can do that. Um, so, so, no, I feel, and in fact, I even, you know, it's funny, uh, I, I wrote a, uh, some speeches for, um, Robert Osborne, who is you know one of the great hosts on on Turner Classic Movies, he was presenting an award to Lauren Bacall, and a thing that I wrote for him, I've heard him say it many times on TCM, which is, if you've never seen the 1932 Trouble in Paradise, directed by Ernst Lubitsch, it's you know it's an 80, 80 year old movie, but if you've never seen it, it's a new movie, and it's it's true. And and I'll tell you, some of the, these pictures from the early '30s, what are now known as the pre-code films, before the production code uh, began to be enforced, are there as adult, there is intelligent, there is risque as, as anything today, and with a lot more style and wit. Uh, than, than than many pictures today. So so I, I'm a big believer in that, and I will also say, as a, as, a, as a final bit of inspiration, that you know I 
uh, directed a kid in, in, a, in a movie, and I, he knew nothing about vintage cinema, and I turned him on to the movies of Preston Sturgis, The Lady Eve, The Miracle of Morgan's Creek, and he happened to be at an event, and Martin Scorsese was there, and he went up to him, uh, you know, very shyly, and they started talking, and Preston Sturgis came up, and here this kid could talk about Preston Sturgis to the great Marty Scorsese, and Marty said, look, you, you if you can get yourself out to Vegas, uh, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a line of dialogue in Casino. And he did. And <laughs> if he, that had not, if, if, if this kid did not know about our collective cinematic past, as I taught him, you know, that, that never would have happened. So, it, you know, the, the great directors, the really great directors, they know about, you know, these movies. I mean, Scorsese's a walking encyclopedia. You know, Coppola, you know, mm-hmm. all the great ones, you know, know and get inspired by, by what's come before. Definitely. I agree 100%, certainly. I have a, a side question to that that you just brought up in conversation there. I'm just curious to ask you as a director, because um, I'm about to embark on this, and I've been questioning this same thought myself. Obviously, mm-hmm. in the advent of all this new technology, like you're saying, for instance, you can shoot a film off of some of these simpler devices. You yes. obviously started 30-plus years ago. So now 30-plus yes. years ago as compared to right now, technology, camera usage, everything is so different. Do you find so that different. the more advanced if technology advances and continues to do so, does that make it easier or more complex in some ways? Do you follow my Actually, in, in my opinion, Cindy, it's, it's easier. Um, as, a, as an example, certainly, you know, I'm considered an actor's director. I love actors. You know, let's face it. I mean, they're the, you know, the actor is up on that screen. And back shooting on film, you, after 10 minutes, the, you know, the camera load runs out. You have to stop no matter where you are emotionally in the scene and stop and reload. Now, with digital uh, videography, you just keep, you never have to do that. I mean, you rarely have to. You just, you keep, you just keep shooting. Um, you know, I think that uh, it's really a, a, a matter of how much of a purist are you in terms of, look, I agree with Tarantino and, and, and Christopher Nolan. You know, yeah, I mean, 35 millimeter, 70 millimeter, I mean, film is, is, is film and gorgeous and, and wonderful. And those guys, you know, have the luxury to um, to do that in their pictures. But when you're, you know, kind of scraping together uh, the funding and trying to save, you're forced to save money here, save money there. I'm talking about, you know, my world, the, uh, the, the New York indie world. You know, we have to use uh, you know, these digital cameras that are, you know, gorgeous. I mean, the reds are look look beautiful. I mean, you have to be, you know, a, a mathematician to to use them. But that's the cinematographer's job. I don't have to worry about that. Um, right. So I do think it's it's made it easier, if only because it's less expensive. You know, back when I did my very first couple of movies where you have to buy raw stock, you shoot it, 
I have to send it to the lab. It has to get processed into a print that can then be used for editing. Then that print has to be conformed to the negative. Then we make prints off the negative. And sometimes your first print, there might be some technical glitches, and you have to make another print. You know, then there's the whole sound um, and the sound aspect of it. Um, so there was, it was much more expensive. Um, today, as I said, you know, you can shoot on a digital camera. You can edit on a computer, mix, and come out with a, you know, a professional-looking product. Um, but again, at the end of the day, it's really, it's really, you know, writing, directing, acting. For me, that trumps everything. It's it's more important than, you know, than than everything. All those you know, lenses and all that, all the technical stuff is there to serve the the the, the writing, the directing, the acting. There are some filmmakers that you know that, that's the other way around. They're they're more interested, I think, in the technical, and that's cool because they're doing certain kinds of films. Like Terrence Malick, who I, I love, uh, makes these you know, just incredible, you know, metaphysical treatises, and you know they're you know, that that are technically just astounding, but they're not exactly. Uh, you know, heartfelt. They're not. You know, they don't, they don't strike your 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 heartstrings or your passion. Um, you know the way. Um, you know the the way that that uh, a terms of endearment or uh, you know a Frank Capra movie. You know would do it in a Frank Capra movie like It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, I mean, look at what that movie. You know the emotion. In, in that film, and that's, you know, an old, considered an old-fashioned, uh, you know, certainly, you know, using, you know, 35-millimeter film, and, you know, just some of the emotions in in these pictures from, you know, the 20s and the 30s. I mean, there's a 1921 Charlie Chaplin movie called The Kid, where he rescues mm-hmm. little Jackie Coogan, from the social workers who rip your heart out is just, and this is silent. I mean, it's silent in terms of no dialogue. There's, there was always music and sound effects, you know, silent movies were never really silent, but that's a silent picture. And it is, it just, uh, hits every, you know, it hits every button emotionally, you know? Uh, so, so again, it really, boils down to that, to the writing, the directing, and and the acting, in my opinions. And there's also no reason, you know, I used to know, you know, 25 years ago, a lot of actors who would just be sitting around complaining about, you know, they're not getting discovered like they expect, you know, to just drop into their lap. Well, today, these actors are creating their own work. They're doing short films. They're doing web series, you know, and I know a lot of wonderful actors, young actors, new actors that are, are doing just that. And, you know, you get together with uh, with some friends, and you, it's like the old uh, Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney movies. Hey, gang, let's put on a show, you know, and, and, and right. they're doing it with, with, the, with the new technology. Now, this also means there's a heck of a lot more 
product out there. You know, and that means that, you know, the for an independent, you need to show your films first at film festivals, and mm-hmm. the competition is just fierce because there are so many, many, many films now, um, you know, that are that are submitted. Some of these festivals are getting, I mean, they get thousands of submissions, and and it's it's tough. You really have to keep plugging away at that because, you know, as I said, that's where an indie film can build, you know, a reputation. Can you actually create a resume for the film? I, in rather insanely, have four films that will be world premiering in the next six weeks. Uh, three features right. and a short that at a variety of festivals. Um, and it's essential that they 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 play these because we're hoping, you know, for some a couple of nice uh, you know press quotes would be good, an award would be great, um, and that helps you eventually when you're making your distribution deal. Uh, so that's so, so that's on, on I guess on on the negative side, you know, the technology has made it, you know, that there's a lot more competition. Um, right. But uh, in terms of being able to do the work, absolutely no, no doubt about it. I mean, there's feature films that I know of that have been shot for feature films, then ninety minutes, that have been done for 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 ten grand. Now, back in the day, you couldn't do, you know, a thirty-five millimeter film for ten grand. I mean, that might that ten grand might just be your processing the film, you know, uh, cost. You know, let alone you know the the crew and, and cast and 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 editing and music and so forth. So, um, but I, I think ultimately, ultimately, I'm happy about it because I've I've been able, you know, my 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 little company has done. We've been involved in ten features and twenty shorts just in the last seven years. That mm-hmm. you know never could have been done had we been shooting on film. We were doing we did all that all that digitally. Um, you know, so it, it's it, it, it's also good because you know the more that an actor can can see their work, the more that a director, a young director, can see and learn that way. Like when I, you know, if I executive produce for a new director, I basically I give them input on the script; they can take it or leave it. I give them input on their footage; they can take it or leave it. I give them you know some tips about. You know, production, how they could cut a corner here without cutting quality. I give them my, my comments on the edit. Again, they could take it or leave it. And then I help them get it to film festivals, which they always take. Um, and, you know, so they it, it's good because they they can learn. I mean, sometimes some of them, I might say the smarter ones, do listen to the voice of experience. I... That was a very important thing for me on my first movie, was I listened at, to the most experienced people I could find, uh, and 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 then learned so much from from them. I mean, that's just a natural thing. I think that is just a a, a key to success. Is you know, solicit. There's plenty of people that are successful who are more than happy to share. You just they just have to be asked. You know. Correct. 
I agree, 100%. I'm very, very lucky. Like when I called John up and I was like, John, I need to know about this and this, and you were just so receptive and so kind and so sharing and so welcoming, and mm-hmm. that's, that's nice to see because you don't always get an opportunity to see that. Um, yeah, I want to yeah. switch gears on you a little bit. Um, sure. I want to talk about, uh, now, Emerson, of course, was your college of choice, which I gather had kind of furthered your familiarity with film. So It was oh, more sorry. of a social experience, to tell you the truth. Oh. Okay. Because okay. I because I had given myself this I was kind of self taught in terms of studying cinema and also at age eleven grabbing my dad's super eight camera and shooting little films starring my younger brother Vinny, um I came there with a kind of a typical, you know, 19-year-old, know-it-all, you know, I used to correct my, one of my teachers, like, every day, it became an, an ongoing thing, where, like, my fellow students would be like, Johnny, wait, is he is he right or is he wrong? I mean, well, actually, Preston Sturgis worked at Paramount. He only did one film at MGM. That was in 1938. And yeah, it was like, that was kind of obnoxious, but, uh, so it was, but it was more of a social, uh, thing. And also the best thing about that particular school, because it was a small school, unlike the bigger, um, film schools, you got your hands on the equipment immediately. Many of these schools, um, you don't really, get to do it until you're a senior where they have a whole you know process where you know you work on on other you know you always you're working on other people's films you might be doing sound on this and shooting on that but at emerson we were from the minute we the day we walked in we were able to start breaking equipment we were able to start you know using the equipment and uh and that was great because that that really uh also we were in an urban environment in Boston and if we were out on the street you know we were doing this as what was essentially we were shooting street theater and I, and there were also a lot oh. of very talented uh actors at Emerson, like in my, you know, my best friend for years, who I met at Emerson and did all his first films, was Dennis Leary. Uh, Stephen Wright, uh-huh. the comedian, was in our class. Uh, you know, Eddie Brill, the comedian. We had a lot of really talented people in in these these student films. Yeah, so it was a little different than what one might get at say NYU or USC or UCLA. Um, which is, I think, much more of a structured, you know, almost more serious approach. Emerson had a, it was a little more, it was more lighthearted in some way. But I was also able gotcha. at Emerson, again, on my own initiative, which was wonderful. I started a film society, so I was able to order movies, to, and I would hang on to the prints, and we would go up on, put and, and and for example, we we uh, we ordered the Wild Bunch, the Sam Peckinpah Western, and that movie has like thousands of edits of cuts, and we were able to put it on the editing machine and watch it slow motion, cut by cut by cut, 
and really learned so learned so much about editing from that. And Sydney, I was able to start a film journal that enabled me to interview Ilya Kazan, Francois Truffaut, uh, you know, on and on and on. Steven Spielberg. Those were the first, my first interviews, and uh, a number of them were collected in a book eventually. And I always loved right. to interview. I would just write to anybody. I mean, I wrote a letter to Francois Truffaut uh, <laughs> asking if I could send a, a cassette tape and a list of questions. And I'm, you know, I'm 20, 20 years old. I get back in, in the mail a letter from Truffaut from Paris in French on the onion skin paper, and I'm running now Beacon Street. Does anybody speak French? And I found a guy, and he said, yes, yeah, dear Mr. Gallagher, uh, no, I will not consent to your request to, to answer a cassette tape. And I was like, oh, man, are you kidding me? And then he says, however, I will be in New York for the New York Film Festival, and if you contact the, this office, and I got to interview him in person. And, and, oh and they gosh. were always so great and wonderful and giving. Sure. And I learned so much from them. In fact, you can go on YouTube and Google, uh, search for John Gallagher interviews, and you'll see a number of them mm-hmm. there are on video, including uh, an interview with Dennis Hopper, which is pretty spectacular. He, he used yeah. this interview um, when he would speak at schools. Uh, later in his life, because we covered a lot of a lot of ground, and we talked a lot about acting, and I I challenged him to cry on the spot, which he did, and he explained how he did it, and uh, so we got really, and I, I mean, I learned, gosh, I mean, you can imagine just so much from talking. I mean, I interviewed silent movie stars and the you know the the the, the cinematographers mm-hmm. who shot you know the Quiet Man, and she wore a yellow ribbon. And won Oscars for John Ford, and you know, I mean, just uh, hundreds of hundreds of, uh, of of veteran filmmakers who, who, at first, were just like, "Are you kidding? What, what do you? How, how do you know about all this stuff?" You know, and, right. and then they would they would because I did know, they would be very very giving with their with their knowledge, you know. Uh, sure. So oh, that was again that was an interesting thing to do in retrospect it wasn't really um i i had uh you know read that peter bogdanovich had done this he had interviewed howard hawks and orson wells and john ford and you know wrote program notes for different uh cinema texts and and i did the same and he got free admission and i did the same thing i went to a cinema tech in philadelphia and and said, look, I'll write you program notes uh, for every show. Just give me a a couple of you know free tickets, and and that was mm-hmm. again furthering, you know, my education, uh, and 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 finding a city that in subsequent years that no more, regardless of the budgets, and I've worked very very low budget, and I've worked pretty decent mm-hmm. budgets, um, that you know. If you know this stuff, it's hard to mess up. It's hard to paint to direct yourself into a corner if you kind of know, you know, how it was done. You know, um, 
there, for people in L.A., there's, there are amazing resources there at the Academy Library, at USC, at UCLA, where the studios donated all of their production materials to these institutions. So, for example, you know, Warner Brothers gave everything to USC. And you can go in there and look at the daily production reports. These are the forms that the assistant director would have to fill out every day to keep the production on track. And you see how what order they shot, what problems they had. You know, uh, Mr. Bogart left the set promptly at 5 p.m., insisting that it was in his contract. He didn't have to work past 5 o'clock. You know, all, there's all that kind of, Miss, you know, Betty Davis. Miss mm-hmm. Davis you left at 1 p.m. after she had a fight with the makeup artist. You know, it's fascinating on that level, just from the production histories, but it shows you how they did this great work, um, and so quickly, too. Uh, so so that, sure. you know, that's out, out, out there. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing resource. I've got a book coming out next year I co-wrote with Frank Thompson about William Wellman, Wild Bill Wellman, who directed the first Oscar winner, Wings, and Public Enemy with Cagney, and uh, Star is Born, and the original, and and, and, and so forth. And um, I've, I've been through, you know, you, you know those files, and and it, it it just comes to life, and you really can see how he was able to on the public enemy the great gangster picture with jimmy cagney they they basically you know you a slate is when you know the thing you hold up and they click it and you say action well they just cut the slates off that movie and they had very little footage left over and that's how prepared the director was you know and, and wellman was always like that and i've taken a great lesson you know, from his work. And that's why I generally, you know, I did just did this movie, uh, The Networker. We shot it in 15 days and never had one minute of overtime. And we were on a different location just about every day with a very large cast. And I was able to pull it off because, well, A, I know what I'm doing, but I had... You know, I had a cinematographer who understood what I was doing and could keep the pace going. Because it's one thing for me to be sitting there saying, are we ready, are we ready, are we ready? I mean, it still takes, you know, the camera has to be ready and lights have to be ready. And, you know, you you have a lot of actresses, you know, makeup's got to be ready and the hair's got to be just just so. And I like, you know, I want to make my actors look good. I want to make sure that you know. I mean, they're hard. They're they're ready to go. So often, you know, you there is a lot of hurry up and wait. But you know, if right. you can get a rhythm going, uh, everybody starts to respond to that, and 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 you can really you know move. It'll keep it moving, make it keep it quality, and stay within or under budget. You know, which obviously is very very important. You don't want to get to the Last day mm-hmm. of shooting, and like, uh, we're out of money. Uh, do we really need this scene? You know, that that kind of thing. 
which which sure. happens uh, to the best of them. Sure. Of course, definitely. Now, I want to um, do a secondary question as it relates to the theater side, or excuse me, the teaching side of things, I should say, before we move on to the next thing. Um, I want to just let everybody know this, so just listen for a second. I want to name off all the different places that you've either taught or lectured so that people are familiar with some of the background that you have. Because I know you've done the uh, New York Film Academy, the Writer's Boot Camp, the Learning Annex, the Barrel Group, of course, the Players Group, School of Visual Arts, obviously Shetler Studios, uh, Actors Alliance, as well as one-on-one uh, New York City. Now, I have two different types of questions, because I know that you've done the two types of offerings, meaning workshop-wise, as far as advanced directing versus film improv- improvisation. Yeah. So tell me, or kind of detail for me, the biggest battle a developing director will experience, um, that as far as Explain to me that you cited in the past before that you absolutely abhor auditions. So I was curious to ask why that. I hate is. them. Um, <laughs> well, I'll tell you. I, as I said, I love actors, and mm-hmm. there's so many wonderful actors in in New York, and it gets really hard when you've got you know half a dozen actors. Any one of them you know is going to be terrific and yet you only really have 5 to 10 minutes with them in the audition then you you know, call them back another day for a callback um and and then other factors come in who are they playing opposite it it always helps me that i have at least one of the leads already cast so I can have them there and see mm-hmm. how their chemistry is with actor A, B, C, D, E. And, je- and you always know instantly, like when you see, you know, the actor reading with a particular, you know, you know they have the chemistry. I did an action movie with Steve James, uh, John, John Leguizamo's first starring role, and Steve uh, had a leading lady, and we had some wonderful actresses coming in, all of whom were wonderful and would have been great in the part, but there was the one actress, Valerie uh, Pettiford from the Broadway show Fosse. They just had a chemistry. Mm-hmm. It was just energy. You, you loved it instantly, so she got the part. And um, but with with the auditions, you know, so often what I've done is, is uh, you know, I, okay, I, I'm sorry, I'm guessing someone else. But I'm going to put you. I'm going to create a role for you because I liked what you did so much, and especially, and this is key to any actors listening. It is so important that you can follow direction, that you can take direction. If if we're we if we do a an audition and you do it, and that's okay. That's you know, good. Um, listen, this time. I want you to you bring it down, you know, twenty five percent. But to keep the keep the intensity, but just bring, you know, your volume down twenty five. Now we do it again, and they get louder. Well, they, I'm sorry, they can't take direction. There's just no way right. I'm going to cast that person because we don't have time. I don't have time on the set to teach acting. I mean, Spielberg said it best. He said, look, 90% of directing an actor is casting the actor. And then, and mm-hmm. I, I, 
couldn't agree more. I mean, that obviously he's he's a genius. I, you 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 know, it's once you have that part, once I give you that role, it's yours, and I and I expect you to know it more than me. And then my job sure. is is to be your first audience. You know, um, as far as uh, you know, with teaching, it's interesting when I've taught. Uh, there have been times when, on the same day, I've been at School of Visual Arts teaching young directors, and that night I'm at the, the neighborhood playhouse, School of the Theater, teaching young actors. And the directors, and I would bring actors in for the directors to work with, and I'll say, okay, who wants to go do a scene first? And all the actors put their heads down and look at the look at the floor, and I say, okay, look, you know, you're paying for this. Uh, I'm, these are my friends. I'll chat with them, and whoever, when you're ready, you let me know. Whereas at the playhouse with the actors, I would say, okay, who wants to go first? And they leave a trail. You can see like their footprints, like on my head, and they're, they're so anxious <laughs> to get up and perform. But that's because in so many. Cases I know it was it was in my my first movie was a beach movie in East Coast rock and roll beer bikinis and uh, uh, you know East Coast New Jersey beach movie and my second movie <laughs> was a bang you know wham bam uh, action movie it wasn't until my third film that I directed something that was personal and coming out of real life. Um, and it's the same, it's only because you're a kid, you know, and you're shy to be considered, you know, you, I mean, you know, you don't want to be, you know, be called an artist, you know, and there's nothing right. wrong with that. You are an artist, but there's somehow that's not, you know, what do you mean? No, I'm a man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not you know, there's something not, you know, in, in society. And uh, these kids in the new directors are... They're like, it's like they're afraid of the actors. It's like they're, they they think, I certainly was, they think that the actors have a secret language, all their own, that only they know. And that we're, and that's why so many young directors kind of hide behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to talk to an actor. And actors need, you know, actors, some actors need nothing. Some actors need everything and then everything in between. And you really need to know how to, ultimately, what I learned from Cindy, from doing all those interviews with directors, I learned the following. What did, everybody was totally different. Every one of these directors, their backgrounds, their style, everything. With one exception, they all said the most important thing is to establish a comfortable, creative environment that can only come from the director. And however it takes to do that, in my case, I do it with humor. I do it with love. Um my sets are, I'm three-quarters Italian. My sets are like an Italian hmm. wedding. 
There's a lot of laughter. <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, a lot of the same people. You know, I have a lot of repeat, sure. you know, cast and crew. Um, we play music. We dance. It's it's a it's a joyous thing. We're so lucky to be doing, and right. you know, even on the hard ones, um, you still want to maintain that. And with a new kid, a new kid director, you know, they don't, they're not fully, you know, formed human beings yet. They haven't, you know, lived, like I said, when I was 22, when I did my first feature, it was about high school kids on the Jersey Shore partying. Well, that's because I knew about that. Um, at least I was smart enough to make something I knew about. Um, and then... <laughs> The other thing, the next thing I did was basically a spaghetti western, a contemporary spaghetti western, because I love spaghetti westerns. But it wasn't mm-hmm. until then I was, um, I had lived life a little bit and, and been through some stuff that I was able to do work that reflected truth, reality, and I understood what the great directors were always talking about when they talked about that. You know, there's a great book called Truth by Susan Batson, who is a legendary acting coach. Nicole Kidman does not do a movie without Susan. Denzel Washington. Uh, mm. Susan has been thanked more times at the Oscars and the Golden Globes than any agent ever. I, she's here in New York. I'm I'm actually her guest again tomorrow night uh, on her industry. She does an industry night. She brings in filmmakers. Um, highly recommend it. It's called Truth. Okay. She also refers quite a bit to classic cinema. Okay. Gotcha. In fact, I have a question relative to um, cinema in terms of inching towards the improvisation side. Um, yeah. Just a curiosity question. Do you think that the majority of filmmakers today, and that's inclusive of yourself, of course, kind of prefer the off-the-cuff technique versus, let's say, something like method or Meisner technique? In your opinion, what well, do you think gives the yeah. best performance? I, I think that um, most... I, I can't obviously speak for everybody, but... I think that right. most directors today are very, very much into improv and also in auditions. Uh, this has been a, something that really started maybe 10 years ago that I, in my noticing, and I would love to do it, where, okay, the actor you know has been given the scene, they've studied it, they come in and they play the scene. Then they're asked to put the scene aside and to do it as an improv, and I will whisper in the ear of my reader who's reading with them and throw them mm-hmm. curveballs and see uh. how they respond. That tells me a lot about the actor, about can they think on their feet. Um, right. I also, um, I know a lot of people do that in in auditions. Mm. You know, is is to do so. It's an essential skill. They really have to have that. The other thing, you know, I can tell you is that there's people. If a scene is not working on the set, mm-hmm. 
you throw it away and you improv it. And it will always, and then you go back to the scene, and it always suddenly, like magic, it works. Because what the improv does for the actor is it frees them so that they're not, they don't have to worry about remembering their dialogue. They're not worrying about the lines. They know the scene. They know what it's about. They know who they are. Mm-hmm. So now all they have to do is just be be in the moment, which you know is, sounds harder than it is. To not act is the key to film acting. Jack Lemmon, this is a great story. Jack Lemmon was a New York actor. He did, he did theater. He did live TV, which was like doing a play. Goes to Hollywood right. for his first movie. The director is the great George Cukor, who did Philadelphia Story, uh, David Copperfield. And oh, yeah. they do a take. Mr. Cukor says, okay, uh, cut. Uh, Jack, let's do it again. Uh, give me a little less. Take eight. Cut, uh, Jack, a little less. Take 25. Uh, Jack, a little less. <clears throat> Finally, Jack says, uh, Mr. Cukor, if I, if, I, if I do any less... I'll be doing nothing. And you just said it. Exactly. <laughs> and it's really true because for whatever reason, I don't know, there's, I'm sure there's some scientific reason, the camera captures what's going on inside. It reads your soul. I have literally had a scene, a love scene, where the actors hated each other. Yet, wow. they had to be all lovey-dovey. Sure. And I'm watching the scene, and I know what the actor is thinking about. He's thinking not, oh, how much I love you. He's thinking, am I going to have the turkey or the ham and Swiss for lunch today? <laughs> and I could see that in his face. So I finally, I had to, I sent the prop person out for some, some roses, and I, I pulled the actor aside, and I said, look, she hates you, and it's ruining your work. I'm, I want you to give her these flowers, apologize, and play the scene like you really... Think about it, it's your real girlfriend. And, and, and that's how you... You know, these are the games you, you gotta, as a director, you have to play if it's not... Sure. Not working. I pulled the one on uh, Steve James and Reb Brown in a fight scene once. They're both two. Really? They had a lot of. Uh, they were two action stars in the in the eighties and nineties. And uh, 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 and I went up to each of them separately and I said, you know, uh, Steve, he's really going to kick your ass in the scene. I mean, I you know we're all friends here. I don't want anybody to get hurt. And Reb was like, what he, he said that. And I went up to Steve and I said, you know. Reb has a lot of fans, and he's really looking to kick your ass in the scene. And Steve was like, no, no way, no way. <laughs> they did a great job, and finally, uh, after we, we shot for however long we shot, and Reb says to me, Johnny, uh, did you get you got everything you need for the fight? I said, yeah, but thank you, man, great job. He goes, okay, well, I think I think I, I think I have to go to the hospital. I broke my thumb. So they got so into it, and that's an old William Wellman that's an old William Wellman right. trick. Um, and we were, of course, all best, best friends. And Steve was a 
James was a sure. wonderful actor. He left us way too soon. He pancreatic cancer at age 41. Right. He was in the uh, the American Ninja movies. Uh, he's just a great, mm-hmm. great actor. Um, but I, again, learned a lot. You know, you learn from who you work with. I've worked uh, with, you know, right. I worked with some of the uh, Ben Gazzara, a legend. I was very blessed yes. to work with him and become very close to him because that project, Blue Moon, we, my partner uh, at the time, Sylvia Kammer and I, we had him attached for five years before we got the money. And so that was a, a lot of time to get to know him because he could be very intimidating to a lot of people. And we, he loved the movie. It's one of his favorites. And we were being very, very close. I learned, of course, so much from him. And, uh, you know, uh, Stacy Keach I worked with, mm-hmm. um, another great great actor. Uh, William Forsythe I put right up there with, with them. He is just yeah. the way the command, the way they mm. hold the screen. And, you know, William, you know, he's played Capone. He's played gangsters right. and... Dick Tracy, yep. he was, you know, he's been in so many mm-hmm. hard-ass, tough guys, scary guys. In our movie, The Networker, he plays a loving father. A tough guy, uh-huh. but he's a loving father in the printing business. Right. And he, what he does in this movie is uh, so moving. Uh, there's two scenes in particular that he just... Uh, you know, you just gotta stand back and say cut and and applaud and you know right. um, that's from a life you know a lifetime of uh, of doing it. You will love. We're gonna arrange it so you can talk to him. Uh, you will lo- <gasps> you'll love interviewing him. He's oh got a God. Uh, you know, so many great stories. I know, and like what? I said, he's a classic example of what I told you, which is yeah. you have to go back to some of his early, early on performances and look at him there, and he's taken something from every performance he's ever done to build the man that he is right now. Even just the other night, I was watching Gotti, and I'm like, I'm watching him in this yeah. film, and I'm thinking to myself, I've seen him thereafter, and it's another, tra- it's a chameleon. It's a chameleon effect. It's one to another to another with him, and I'm so right. just thoughts with the whole idea of oh my god what is he going to transform himself into the into the new yorker of course now i want to ask and, you yeah. i want to switch gears again yeah oh, i'm sorry go ahead do you have thought oh okay no, no, we want to go just, towards just... um are you sure <laughs> you can finish i'll let you say what you got to say um i want to turn the magic wand here a little bit and i want to mention that you worked with actors of all stages meaning either small size or sizable stages. Um, you've had some triumphant times in theater, to name just a couple of the plays you've done. You've done East of Evil. You've done Unspe- Unspeakable Ways, Screenwriter Series, that's both number one and two, and, of course, five yeah. women wearing the same dress. So I have a couple questions relative to the theater side sure. of things. Um, I've been told by some that theatrical performances, the production is either considered a boom or a bomb by an audience within the first 20 to 30 minutes. Would you say that that's true or not true? Uh, I, you know, this is very uneducated coming from me. I would say that's true. Oh, no. See, I am not, okay. see, I, my theater experience is extremely limited. I got into it, I was asked 
to direct um, some one acts, and I said, look, I don't even know with the difference between upstage and downstage, I would direct it like a movie. And the the, the, the producer said, that's good, I like that. And I did mm-hmm. it, and I loved it. I felt like I was in a rock band, but my overall experience directing theater is frustrating because you 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 rehearse it and plan it a certain way and then once it's 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 up I can't say cut if it's not going the way we way we didn't rehearse it like that right I've also had classic in five women wearing the same dress which is a great play um by Alan Ball who did uh American Beauty and uh what was the theme oh, yeah. show on HBO. Oh, oh um Dead. Oh my god, don't make me up. Uh, uh, help me out. What's the plan? Uh, oh god, it was a great it, show. I know what you're talking Dead. about. Yeah. Deadwood? Anyway, Alan Ball and um okay. mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it's one set. It's a debutante's okay. bedroom in the south and there's a telephone and a doorway. Well, in the first uh, minute and a half of the play, the phone rings. Uh, the actress picks up the phone, uh, has an argument with her mother, and then hangs up, and the play continues. Well, one night, uh, she slammed the phone down so hard it broke, and so the rest of the night, the phone didn't work, and there were a number of cues that were stemmed from the phone ringing. So the actors would just be standing there waiting for the phone to ring, and they would never <gasps> ring. And oh, you know, after the show, um, you know, what happens is basically in a play, which is, again, was all new to me, um, is you direct, the, you, know, you direct it, then you have the opening, and then the director disappears. And it comes back periodically right. and gives notes. Well, I happen to be coming back that night, and after the, the play, the actors all came out. They were all, like, contrite and hanging their heads. And I said, well, think of it this way. At least the set didn't fall down, and I fell on the floor <laughs> laughing. And everybody started laughing. And, like, you know, what are you going to do? Sure. This stuff happens. But uh, right. so so... You know, I, I, there, look, live theater, is, there's no doubt, is is very exciting. I'd love to do more, but uh, I, I, I could I could speak more, frankly, as an um, an audience member, maybe. But I know that the ones that I okay. have directed, they have done, they have gotten very good uh, response, and the material right. has been very strong. Right. And in fact, a number of these plays that I did. Uh, Starred a bunch of the guys who went on to do The Sopranos, which was and it was right. their first, you know, it was their first uh, theatrical experience. So, so myself and with these guys, and they're always fun. You know, they're like my my oh, my yeah. uncles and cousins. You know, I've done so much work with you know, Vinny Pastor and Frank Vincent and yep. Tony Sirico and um, you know Michael Imperioli and Victor Colicchio. Uh, Bert Young, you know, and they're just they're just fun. I mean, you know, we Italians are entertaining. What do you, you know, what, do you, what else can I say? Aish. 
Trust me, I know. I do. I know exactly what you mean. Now, before I forget to ask you, because there's a there's a notation here now, are you still an active member, or I should say you were on the board of directors for Real Theater Company? So is that something that you still partake in? Real or? Theater Company, uh, no. the, the, the head of that moved to L.A. and is actually doing more film now. Um, oh, so okay. I think the company is a little, is maybe just suspended, um, I haven't okay. heard much of, about them, but they did. Uh, they, they did a wonderful production of Hair uh, on Theater Row here in New York, and they did a nice. great production, an original production of uh, uh, called Us from uh, uh, Peter. Ga- uh, we're using the music of Peter Gabriel, uh, Maggie Levin, Gosh. a former student okay. of mine at the Neighbor Playhouse, who produced some shorts for me, and was super talented. You'll be definitely hearing from her in the coming years. Okay. So I mean, if now, she asked me tomorrow to do, I would I would just I'd totally be there for her. Oh, of course. I imagine so, definitely. And you know, you kind of gave a segue earlier when we started talking, of course, because you and I, of course, are both authors. So the one thing that you had, um, one of the things you talked about book-wise is, of course, you penned the film directors on filming. So I have a question relative yes. to that. Out of... The countless catalog by you in print, which legend would you say you most closely copycat as far as your own style? If you I'm had sorry, to could you ask that again, Cindy? Oh, that's okay. Of all the different countless numbers that you've cataloged but in print, in that book, as far as director-wise, which of those legends do you feel you most closely copycat in terms of your own style for directing? Mm. If you were standing stand oh, by side. Well, that's, that's, that's a tough one, mm-hmm. but the one yep. I would say... There's a writer director in that book mm-hmm. named John Milius. John Milius uh wrote Apocalypse Now, Jeremiah Johnson, he directed Red Dawn with The Wind and the Lion, oh, yeah. Conan the Barbarian. He is kind of a throwback to the old storyteller sitting around the campfire up in the Rockies in the 1830s telling stories. There's a storytelling ethic that he has that I've always related to. Plus, he's a major uh, history buff. Major, I'm a huge Teddy Roosevelt fan, and he's done the best work. He did the Rough Riders miniseries, which was phenomenal, and uh, so John Milius is 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 really someone I've always always looked looked up to. Wonderful, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. I was like, oh, I just like to compare as far as that goes. Now I'm going to switch you over again and talk or discuss documentaries. Um, to those of you that are listening that don't know, you've been both a cast member as well as a commentator, meaning of course um, in the Heroes for Sale. Uh, question relative yes, to that. Yes, well, that's a Wellman. No, it's a, yeah, that's a 1933 William Wellman, uh, uh, right. a really stark drama about the Depression. And I mm-hmm. did the the audio commentary on the DVD that's available on from Warner Home Video. Right. I want to ask this question to you. Maybe it's just my imagination, or maybe it's because I'm about to be a documentary filmmaker myself, but I've just noticed lately, and this is a trend maybe in the last five years, and maybe it's just me, but we'll see what you think, a shift towards just bunches of people making these multitudes of docudramas. I mean, the, the new trend is not so much maybe short film, but I'm just seeing a barrage 
of docudramas slash documentaries coming out there, or is it different in New York? Because it just seems as though that's that's kind of like the niche everybody is kind of gravitating towards these days. Do you do you mean uh, documentaries, or do you mean a docudrama like say? Uh, like the Hatfield and the McCoys or, or the Sons of Liberty? I'm thinking actual, like, documentary, documentary. Well, I've just noticed yeah. every time I turn around, there's yes, I think on. I think that this is kind of a golden age of documentaries. I know they're still okay. difficult to do. Um, my, uh, you know, my, one of my colleagues, Sylvia Kaminer, directed two very successful feature documentaries over the last couple of years. Um, but it's... It, you know, there's just a lot more out there, and, and yeah, I think you're right. There's just there is a proliferation of of, of okay. feature length documentaries. I mean, some of these HBO look, look at the HBO thing with uh, mm-hmm. Durst, right? Exactly. That's yeah, and, and there's a, like, there is a lot of uh, I mean, you know, even like well, two of the great directors, uh, Scorsese and Jonathan mm-hmm. Demi and Spike Lee, for that matter. Uh, oh yeah, Spike Lee. They often they will okay. alternate their their regular movies with documentaries. And Marty's done some great oh, yeah, documentaries. Or like Oliver Stone too. That's another one. Oh my god. Oh yeah, gotta love yes, Oliver yes, Stone. For sure. God, I love him. Definitely. Yeah, He's yeah. all about you know all of that good stuff. But I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, I want to talk he about three hundred five media group. I'm sorry. Really? You in 1984, in 1984, oh I was in LA on a writing job, and uh, uh, upstairs it was a apartment, a small apartment complex up in the hills, and there was somebody on the floor above me carrying on breaking stuff, screaming loud music till 7 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, after a couple of nights of this, I went up and I knocked on the door. It was Oliver Stone writing Platoon. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I said, and I knew him from, you know, I knew that he had written Conan for John Milius, and I knew him from Midnight Express, and, you know, I knew who he was, and I was like, hey, you know, no problem, man. Do what you got to do. <laughs> oh my was god, that's wild! <laughs> that's so funny to hear that, right? That's like not. Oh yeah, right, I want to. I want to get over to 305 Media Group. Um, in case you guys haven't been listening in or you're first coming in now, it was founded in 2008, and this, of course, is your production platform. Um, you've done uh, five features and 16 shorts, and only a frequency of four years. So I want you to address. Actually, this I one think we're, we're up to almost ten. Actually, we're up to almost ten features. Oh. <gasps> Oh, and we okay. and Thank I just got a new deal today on a very exciting nice. movie that I'm going to be rewriting and directing. It's called um, Brook Hollow Warriors. It's a coming of age with a major twist. It's a terrific project. I was recommended by Vinnie Pastor to the producer Angela Galizio, and I just. Uh, we just locked it down today, and I'm going to start on, on the rewrite um, uh, immediately. Uh, but but uh, you know, a number of these features, a number of these films are projects that, as I said, I, I've mentored. Uh, I've mm-hmm. been a mentor 
to some new filmmakers. In some cases, I've been a tour mentor to some new filmmakers. But yeah, that goes with the goes with the territory. But I, yeah, Frank, I, I think we're up to I think we're up to ten features and twenty shorts, something like okay. something like that. Gotcha. Well, the reason we've I got bring three up features, I want to go ahead. I was going to say we have we have three features and a short world premiering in just the next six weeks, right. which is yep. by far a record for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to know your take on this question. This is a center yeah. of conflict. Every time I talk to a director, this is a center of conflict. And actually some actors, too, because they have very specific ideas on this. And we started talking about this off air. It, um, okay. It's kind of been said that the, the studios will kind of select and salivate over the, the films that are produced by companies that either carry clout as far as cast-wise or currency-wise, uh-huh. and a lot of money with big names sort of stuff. Talk a little bit about that, you know, because obviously we talked about the Oscars and such. It, are we really still in that politically correct scenario where it takes big names and big money to get the job done and to get the job recognized? I think absolutely. Listen, I have I directed one studio movie. It was an action picture. I'm very proud of it. Uh, it was um, the exec producer was the legendary Menachem Golan, who looked at the dailies and he said, "My boy, the acting is wonderful. The directing is wonderful, but it looks like apocalypse now." And I said, "Oh, thank you. Oh, that's bad." He goes, "You're giving me a Rolls Royce. I want a Volkswagen." In other words, the the mentality of product line. Now, you know, uh, I've I've done my time out there. I lived out there about eight years over the course of 15. Um, Okay. I spent my free time in the archives, you know, studying. Um, I did not get involved with, you know, all the nonsense. Um... And I found that, you know, I hate to make generalizations, but I know from, for example, I know there was a fantastic actor named Mike Mazurki. And he was a murder of my suite. He was Ten Commandments. And I I interviewed him on the phone. And and he he was upset. I said, Mike, what's the matter? He goes, I went into audition today for a music video. Can you imagine a music video? And there's a 25-year-old okay. kid directing. And he says to me, what have you done? And I stood up and I said, did you ever hear John Ford? He said, no. Did you ever hear Cecil Beat the Mill? He said, no. Did you ever hear Wild Bill Wellman? He said, no. Did you ever hear Frank Capra? He said, no. Oh and, and I says to him, hey, hey, go, get, go join a video club. And I walked out. <laughs> I mean, the mentality is... Right. Just let me look what they make. It's embarrassing. Hollywood used to be. Look what they did in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. Look at the crap they're making. Look how Mm -hmm. how many many original screenplays are actually produced nowadays. I know. Out of Hollywood. I know. Very few. That's why the the indie, listen, the 70s in Hollywood uh, was, was a golden age. 
French Connection, Taxi Driver, uh, Nashville, you know, Altman, Last Picture Show, you know, on and on and on. You know, Dog Day Afternoon, Chinatown, you know, and Cuckoo's Nest. Those movies never would have gotten made today. Those would have been done independently today. Oh, of course, um, of course. And it's really a shame because listen, I go to I go to Germany every uh, every September for the Oldenburg Film Festival, it's the European Sundance, right. and it's embarrassing. Right. You know, unless you're a New York indie, I'm not embarrassed. But the Hollywood product, and then they get into the hypocrisy of you know. Oh, there's not enough diversity for for women. Well, then oh, do Lord. something about it. <laughs> I mean, exactly. it's just you know you're you're crying that that then then do it. I, I mean, it's just it's nonsense. I mean, do we need how many more superhero movies? Right. Thank you I very just, much. That's all I'm I, Really, I mean, it, it's just the. <laughs> I agree. We got so dumbed down. There was some report last night about how millennials are, I mean, just don't know anything. I mean, when, I mean, look at the Kardashian phenomenon. That oh, is don't start me on mind-blowing. That. Oh, mind-blowing. Oh, it drives me nuts. That people, yeah, that they know kids today can name every Kardashian girl, but they have no idea who you know the 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 majority whip is or, or, or that's right. nothing. I mean, oh my God! And 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 part of that is the, it's what they're exposed to. I mean, let's see some American history is rich with action, adventure, romance, passion. You know, and 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 how many movies? You know, as from American history, do we get none? Oh, exactly. It's it's really, you know, it's a crying shame. It really is, and uh, you know, maybe, you know, it, maybe it changes when. That's why we try to do a movie that um, you know, I've got a an action film. It's very commercial. Um, mm-hmm. That looks like that could be uh, next. Um, and it's done to be able to do something you really want to do. You know, mm-hmm. that's why I love this project. Um, uh, uh, the, the one I just mentioned, um, Brookhollow Warriors, because it it works on many levels. It works on a very commercial level. It's it's the right demographic. Um. And, you know, so that could be a big enough success so that I could do mm-hmm. something smaller that might not be so, you know, uh, overtly commercial. It was certainly that a studio would never sure. do, you know. Oh, right, um, right. That's the best thing. You know exactly what I mean? What I mean. So, mm-hmm. you know, I it's do. Like, I like, exactly. And the people that, well, the filmmakers always do, you know, it's like Coppola, after the Godfather movies, did the conversation. Mm-hmm. And you know Scorsese right. after, um, you know, uh, uh, Goodfellas. He did uh, Age of Innocence. So, you know, that's a very mm-hmm. common, common thing uh, to to, okay. to vary the work like that. But at the end of sure. the day, oh, you gotta, 
Yeah, the other day you got to get somebody's got to, you know, write the check. Oh, trust me, I'm learning this as we go along here, definitely. Now, before we get into your upcoming things, I want to talk a minute about everybody comes on the show, we always talk about a personal side of things. Because believe it or not, John Gallagher actually is a person who doesn't walk around being a director 24-7. So there's a few things I want to mention to people out there. Um, like, for instance, I was kind of shocked to find out that John Gallagher actually has watched and I'm assuming likes Breaking Bad. I don't get that show. I'm sorry. I, I don't get oh, it. I don't like it. I, I don't like it. I watched it. the whole thing in about 11 days. I mean, oh every God, episode. I Seriously. just it, really it. it uh, there was only one episode uh, that I couldn't watch, and it was uh, it was a very different style, and it, it wasn't really about anything. It didn't move the move the story. Um, you know, to me, it was a great. I mean, I love dark. I mean, it's a great. You know, dark. I love I you know the acting, but I'll tell you one thing. You should watch some of the bloopers. Some of the outtakes really? are so okay. funny. They are having so much fun, which you can imagine shooting that and living in that world. You better have some fun. You better be cracking up in between takes. But no, that's Breaking Bad. And I came to that show very late. I finally, I was like, all right, already, I'll watch Breaking Bad. I mean, so many people were on my, my back about it. I know. And now I watch, I now I watch and love Better Call Saul. Okay. Aha! Uh-huh. Really? The I other, watch of that. course, the other two that I adored were uh, House of Cards. <gasps> In the network, we have Al Sapienza, who was on the show, and we and I loved mm-hmm. Orange Is the New Black. And we in the uh, network, yes. one of our co-stars is Alicia Rayner, who plays one of the wardens. She plays Fig right. in Orange right. is the New Black. Um, you, you know, and, and uh, I, I, I haven't seen the new season of, of House of Cards, but I, I have to okay. also say, I'm a pretty pretty good audience. I mean, I, I can watch, I don't think, I think those are great shows, but I can watch something bad. In fact, I can learn really? from something bad. You know, well, that was going to be my question. I was going to be like, "Can he sit and watch a movie? Can you watch a movie and not be a director? Because I picture that very yes. hard for you. Like, take your cap no, off, and, and I, you're not you. You're this, just you." I'll tell you how I learned this. That's a really good question. Okay. Um, when I was in school at Emerson, and I was in our film studies, we would watch, say, Bonnie and Clyde, in the morning, 10 a.m. Break for lunch. And come back in the afternoon and watch it again. In the morning, mm-hmm. we were not allowed to take notes. Regardless of what the movie was, in the morning, you just watch the movie. And then in the afternoon, okay. you studied the movie. Now, yeah, it can be hard for me. I have to stop myself. But I'm pretty darn good about doing that. Um, I also okay. try. I have a huge collection. And I an archive, and I really do try to watch two movies a day. Generally one really? very early in the morning, and then something okay. late at night. And then, you know, depending on what the other day is going. But however, I, I manage it, and, and I try to, you know, uh, and I keep a track 
of what those films are. And I would tell you that many of the films are films I've seen. Like, for example, since January 1st, I've probably watched maybe 150 movies, and there's probably only 40 that um, I had never seen. And it's a real range. I'm just looking up, for example, in just the last week, um, Mm -hmm. I watched uh, a great 1962 Blake Edwards movie with Lee Remick called Experiment. Oh, yeah. I watched the Maisel Brothers documentary, Grey Gardens. I watched the Bob Hope, Bob Hope, Technicolor 1944, The Princess and the Pirate. I watched The Big Lebowski. I watched uh, a bunch of early 30s, because they're only like an hour long, a bunch of early 30s um, pre-code movies like uh, Big City Blues and Picture Snatcher Mm -hmm. with uh, Jimmy Cagney. Um, And I watched uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. With Warren Beatty and Julie wow. Christie, I hadn't seen since it came, since I was in in high school, um, and I try to keep it varied, um, and, and and everything okay. I learn or get inspiration from you know everything, even a really horrible film which I finally saw it's called <laughs> The Iron Petticoat from 1956. Wow. Believe it or not, Bob Hope. Okay is an Air Force officer, and Catherine Hepburn is a Soviet pilot who defects. Bob Hope and Catherine Hepburn, with the most god-awful Russian accent, I I mean, my my jaw was on the the ground. I just, it was just dreadful. And uh, it it was written by probably the greatest screenwriter ever, Ben Hecht, who wrote Gunga Din, Wuthering Heights, The Front Page, His Girl Friday, Scarface, and he wanted his name taken off it because Bob Hope mm-hmm. had his radio writers and his TV writers add all of these like side jokes that really just ruined the book. I mean... It's it's just it's a crazy film and but uh, I, I you know I had to see it you know I'm so not absolutely so not watching that one now so now I have two more Don't personal questions before we move on to yeah. the films first off you have met two of my favorite actors one of which used to be my fantasy husband in my head I bet you didn't know that um, and it's yeah. not Frank Vincent Frank Vincent Frank Vincent is one that I absolutely adore and I think I told you that but do you know that I have wanted to meet. And Mary, Michael Madsen, for like forever, ever, ever, uh, ever. I have this, oh, my God, do I love that guy. Love, he love him. He is a trip. Oh, he's my so, God. He's and he writes I, poetry, he's man. Total trip. And and I'll tell you, he, he's the guy. I'm so glad he's in. I think he's in Quentin's new movie, The Western, because he's such a, I th- you know, I, think I mean, so. every, every director wants to make a Western. Including me, and he'd oh, be the first guy okay. I guessed. Oh my gosh, goodness! Did you meet him? Did you know him or work with him? Because I don't think you worked with him, right? No, you I met him him at, I just to see his I, uh, I, uh, I met Quentin Tarantino before he was Quentin right. Tarantino at uh, oh, nice. a friend's house 
in L.A. in 1988 or 89, and then saw him, and we uh, instantly, instantly hit it off. We were, you know, a couple of film geeks, and sure. then we met again the night that he won the Oscar for Pulp Fiction, the script. Nice. And he totally remembered me. And he loved my film, Street Hunter. Then we spent a week together a couple of years later at South by Southwest, where my film, The Deli, premiered. And he was always, Quentin goes there like every year. Um, and I, w- I was invited to his Friars Club roast. And, oh, okay. Which was a huge, you know, event. But but the cool thing was, uh, we I ended up at the at the private party after, which was really I mean that's with Jerry Lewis is sitting there and I mean, just tell you the all, every every wow. place you turned you were bumping into somebody and he was awesome Quentin and uh, that's where I met Michael. And um, we had to, he actually just did a movie in Istanbul with one of my favorite actresses um, who was supposed to be in the networker, but they ran over her schedule, so she oh. couldn't do it. But uh, we're going to work. We're working together next year. I'm I'm actually we're we're writing a script together based on her one woman nice. show. Um, so anyway, okay. so uh, but he he's a guy who. You know, you can get. I mean, he'll he likes to work, and and uh, mm-hmm. you know, so he, he's you can see in his filmographies, you know, that that he's he does a ton of stuff always. But no, I I haven't as of yet had the had the pleasure. It's amazing. I mean, I just I'm so enamored, and I was like, oh my god, I got to meet him. So my last question before we move you like on the to bad boys, huh? films. You like the bad oh, boys. You're learning, aren't you? <laughs> you're getting it. I like tattoos. I like poetry men, and I like my gangsters. I like my Italians. Awesome. I told you that. I like my boys. Well, listen, Frank but, is is. I've done so much oh, work Frank. with Frank. Oh my god! And in fact, I'm very proud of something. We honored him in 2012 <gasps> at the Soho Film Festival, and uh, uh. My dear Sybil Santiago, who, who who's the director of the festival and produced these last few films that we did, um, you know, she got us uh, a theater and set me up with a microphone, and I did an hour and a half long interview with Frank, and it turned into a Vegas yeah, I saw act. It. Uh, did you see right. it? It's, it it's so much yes, fun, I watched it last and that's night. so him. It is so much fun. Yeah. Yes, you know. I love it. And even like you know Tony Sirico, you know Paulie Walnuts, yeah, from uh, <laughs> Sopranos. I've done a lot of work yes. with them. And I've known Vinnie Pastor, yes, Big Pussy, yep. is a dear friend yep. of mine. And, and those guys are yep. just—they're just uh, Mike Starr. Do you know Mike Starr? Mm-hmm. He was—he—he he was the hitman um, in Dumb and Dumber. He yeah, eats the chilies. I, I know him. I do know him, but I haven't. Um, I've heard the name before, you know what I mean? I haven't he's jogged great. or learned yeah. a whole lot of stars him, but I've yeah, heard that. Yeah, he's a good fellas also, and he starred in the he's, deli. Yeah, and, um, yeah, and I love, you know, see, I love these guys. Be- this stems back to one of your first questions, to those old pictures mm-hmm. that I saw right. as a kid, those early Warner Brothers 
movies with had yeah so Cagney and Bogart were the stars but the supporting cast would be like Alan Jenkins and Ward Bond and you know Martin McLean and you know Frank McHugh and all right. these wonderful character actors that gave the the texture and I love that I mean to me I really believe and I tell actors there's no such thing you're on camera you're complaining you're only on camera for five seconds. Well, guess what? For five seconds, you're the star of the movie. You know, exactly. there's no such thing as a small part. Only small actors. Bingo. Somebody said that. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, before we move on to your films, I want to ask this, and, and before I preface this, I'll say this much. When I was on your Facebook page, what you don't know about me is all-time all time favorite movie of all time, 100%, It's a Wonderful Life. That's my personal, always been oh. my personal, Oh yeah. remains my personal. So here's my question. I'll leave it to you whether you want to move along or if you want to talk about November of 2013, because I think it's a very poignant point of your life that speaks a yeah, great deal that about was you. A, that was a red-letter day, all right. I'm No, yes, I'm fine to talk about it because okay. I will tell you that so many people, I mean hundreds and hundreds of people, have contacted me or reached out to me to say how inspired they are mm -hmm. by the recovery. And, right. you know, very simply, I, we were in, you know, pre-production on a, on, a, on a movie. I was coming from auditions. Uh, I fell asleep, and I woke up six weeks later, came out of a coma. I survived right. uh, third-degree burns. I was in a fire and uh, lost the ability to walk. They told me I would never, my, my apartment, which I've lived here for 22 years, was uninhabitable. Um, and, uh, man, it don't, the doctor said, don't work. You're not going to be able to work for a couple of years. And you're not going to be able to breathe on your own if you even survive. And the good news is that I survived. I breathe on my own. I walk. Um, I was uh, in a wheelchair in a nursing home where I was by far the youngest patient, but I happened to have a copy of Blue Moon with me starring Ben Gazzara and Rita Moreno. They were in their 70s mm -hmm. when we did the movie, and I screened the film for the patients, and they loved it. They gave it a sitting ovation. Um, and my friend Steve Stanulis who is, there, who is a major story in of himself, Steve uh, called me and said, I want you to direct the networker. When are you out? When are you getting home? And I said, wow, uh, I'm supposed to be out in a few weeks. And I directed that picture, I mean, fresh out of, you know, a physical therapy rehab where I learned how to walk again and uh, you know the the support that I got I mean I had a lot of people came out uh, you know to work on the picture to who wanted to be there for me and um, so uh, and consequently now I have honest to God never been busier it has really just <laughs> been and you you know Look, I happen to have 
the most amazing parents and family, uh, you know, brother and sister-in-law and uh, niece and nephews and, and friends. Like, you know, you really find out who your friends or your real friends are. And um, I sure did, you know, and it just is a a kind of a, you know, you know, not that I was the kind of person, I was always a workaholic, I was always, you know, um, overachieving and very prolific, but the idea that I would never, I wouldn't be working, or the idea that I almost, that that was it, I, I you know, I was almost dead, was enough <laughs> to, you know, just... Really, okay. Let's we're gonna get these other movies get going. Let's get let's make get get going. So consequently, now here here we are. Um, this time last year, yeah, this time last year, I was in a wheelchair, and I've got the four movies world premiering. I've got four teaching gigs mm-hmm. in the next month. Yeah, we've got yep. these movies in, in, in the in the pipeline, and every mm-hmm. day, and it's just fantastic. And I'm watching two movies a day. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so see, you see, it, it, it is a blessing. It, 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 it's it's Thank a miracle, you. really. And you know, I exactly. I uh, will always be just so grateful um, that I was given not only another, another chance at life, but that you know, mm-hmm. I I, I it, the worst part was having, you know, you imagine what my parents were going through. When I oh, was, you know, I and and you know, so the, the the I will always be so grateful to them and and to Steve Stanulus who offered me this movie, which he starred in, exactly. and he's fantastic in it. I'd worked with him many times mm-hmm. before. Um, he, I think, ultimately, you know, understood because he was almost killed. He's an amazing... He was a NYPD cop by day and a male stripper by night for many I years. I know. I saw that. I know. Do you know that? He got injured on the job. I do. As, as, yep. He got injured on the job as a as a cop, uh, not as a stripper, and he started doing private security for Leo DiCaprio, who sent him, who said, you should be an actor. He sent him to, to HP Studios, and he put him in gangs of New York and um Steve is just get plugged away and he's been producing movies mm-hmm. and he's got a talent agent. See, he's got a book coming exactly. out, one man show. Cute we're kid. we're partnered up mm-hmm. you know on, on a bunch you of bet. projects. And uh and as I said the movie is about a second chance. So mm-hmm. it it couldn't be a better kind of a comeback Bet. It's about family. It's about a second chance. We're going to world premiere at the Soho Film Festival uh, in New York City the uh, second week of May, and then continue on to uh, as many festivals as we can uh, do, and uh, and then uh, as as we're figuring out our distribution uh, options. And uh, it's it's a fun, I, I, it's, it's a guaranteed entertaining film with a fantastic cast. I mean, one thing, Oh yeah. I, whether you like the movie, any of my movies or not, 
I always guarantee you good performances. Well, you gotcha. I watched I really, the last I night, really actually. pay attention to the actors, you know? Exactly. You're absolutely right. Now, before we get to the last part of this, which is the films, I want everybody to listen to this. So, you know what? You need just take a breath and don't say one word because it's going to take me like two minutes to read this, folks. So to those of you who are listening, just listen to this, John Gallagher. This is exactly why I was so nervous to interview you. So just listen to this, folks. I got two big columns of things to tell you. These are the award places. So we got Fort Lauderdale International Film Festival, St. Louis Film Festival, National Board of Review, New York City Home Film Festival, World Fest Houston, Norrisburg Independent Film Festival, Avignon, I believe it is, New York Film Festival, Chaz Tom, I can't even pronounce it, Film Festival. You've got your Picture Start Film Festival, Atlantic City Short Film Festival, Film Fest Oldenburg, New York Independent Film Festival, Queens Film Festival, Florida Film Festival, and Charleston Film Festival. And get this, folks, listen to this. He's got the Grand Prize, Spirit of Independent Award, Rising Star Award, People's Choice for Best Actress, a Gold Award, 21st Century Filmmaker Award, Best Comedy, Best Feature, Best Indie Feature, Best Feature and Best Actress, Official Selection, Audience Award, Jury Award, Best Film, and Recognition of Excellence in Filmmaking. And you'll wonder why I'm nervous. So here's my question on the award side of things. Two things. You served as a juror, so have I. I've been a film festival judge. So my question to you is this. Name for me just a few of the film entities that in your mind have to be there that are essential elements that would warrant winning in awards such as these that are listed. Because you know there are some of those components that a judge actually looks for. And I mean, then the second we, part of the uh, question. Uh, yes? I'm, so, I'm sorry. What is the what is the uh, the first part? I, the connection just The first question? Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Um, there's, it's a two-part question. First of all, I want you to answer the fact, can actors actually attribute to the accolades? Let's say, for instance, if your direction, you, you did a film and you thought to yourself, you know what, I did the best I could, but it wasn't 100% on par, but the actors yeah. kind of attributed to pushing it over the top. Uh, and then second of all, name a couple of the components, in your opinion, because you've served as a juror before, um, yeah. tell us what is essential in, within a course of a film that you think would warrant you saying, okay, yes, this is film festival worthy. Okay. I love the first part of the question. It amuses Thank me you. because, um, you know, for example, directing Ben Gazzara, I mm-hmm. did not have to direct Ben Gazzara. He, I just okay. had to be his audience. He was just perfection. So I cannot take any credit for directing him. I gave him what he needed, which was my undivided attention, and to make sure, you know, one, there was one night that he was drinking, because this generation, that's what they would do, you know, him sure. and the Mitchums and all, and he slurred a little bit, and I was about to correct him, and he just said, I know, I know. So he even knew that. Uh, however, Rita Moreno, because she came from, you know, the theater, she was always sure. big, and it would take me like three takes, four takes, to get her to where she needed to be. So consequently, when people would compliment me, for, you know, for the, for the, for when they would uh, compliment Ben, you know, oh, 
you know, or you know, or, you know, his performance, I would have to say, hey, well, that's that's bad. I, I didn't direct him. And then they would say, oh, Rita, she was so great in that movie. And I always say thank you because I take <laughs> that because that was the directing. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, no, sure. just obviously I need the I need the instrument, but um, so it's very much so. Some actors you direct, and others okay. you don't have to. I mean, the younger actors you generally do and also you know you're you're in the middle of a, of a scene and you know an actor might be sticking you know maybe his tongue is flicking out or or they're rubbing their ear or, you know little things little details you have to be watching the actors like a hawk you know and 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 you also have to know as a director how it's going to edit together how it's going to cut together crucial and there have been some some many films i've done where you know i've uh i've cut together a good performance out of an okay performance that was only okay Mm -hmm. because we were shooting it like the last like we had to shoot all the action first and here it is the last thing in the day and we have to shoot this guy's monologue and it was not fair to the actor at all, but what are you going to do? And I was able to right. edit it into something that was respectable. You know, so so that's the uh, the thing there. The other thing in terms of what the components are, they're all in a, mm-hmm. on a jury scenario, an award scenario is always going to be by comparison with the other films. So... The there might be and, and and with these juries, you know, sometimes it gets, you know, you got four or five jurors, um, and you know, one of them likes this really dark, arty, pretentious, you know, nasty art film, and I find it completely, you know, uh, obnoxious and. And, and, and a waste of time, and I like the picture about, you know, the the couple trying to save their relationship, you know, and they're, they're, how do you even compare right. those two, sure. other than to say that this, the picture I like, made me feel, because that's ultimately, now, that other picture made that other juror feel, but I don't want to feel like that, you know, and and so sure. I think ultimately it's the it's the issue of making the audience feel, and I you know I can't say I I've done that I can't say how to do it other than casting the right people, having the mm-hmm. script where it should be, and never underestimating the power, the emotional power of the music. I've got a great uh-huh. composer named Ernie Mannix. I've done a lot of work with. Okay. And for example, there's uh, you know, a couple of scenes with Steve Stanulis and William Forsythe in the networker that are very powerful and very emotional. Now Ernie, when he adds his music to to those scenes, which I haven't even heard yet, um, th- it's going to be wow. I know it because I know his style. He he doesn't overdo it, but he knows how to kind of pluck pluck the heartstrings, you know. So, 
So okay. it's really that city is the feeling it. Gotcha. Okay. Now, I want to, before I ask the last question, which is, of course, about the upcoming films, here's what I want to highlight for you folks. Um, he has more than, I, I don't even know, we don't even have enough air time to talk about how many films he's done. I'm just going to name the four that I like the very most, which, of okay. course, would be Blue Moon, which you were writer and director, um, The Deli, which you were director and co-author, um, and then the two films much earlier on, which is Men Lie, 1994, and, of course, Penance, which is 1999. So I just have two questions about those films, um, and that kind of encompasses yeah. all your films, really. Two questions. First of which is, while pairing the literal legends on screen, like, for instance, you have Rita Moreno and Ben Gazzara, like you talked about, is there ever such yes. a thing as, uh, you know, is the power and performance amongst two legends, is that ever difficult, or does, there, does it ever pose a problem, meaning because they're both strong lead characters. Do you follow me? Um, I have not had that problem, and I think partly because I have met and spent so much time, you know, with Lee Marvin, and I mean, with, with, and and as I said, Ben, I I knew for five years before. Rita, I knew for maybe three years before. And so, Mm -hmm. I, I, I butted heads, I mean, she'll tell you too, I butted heads with Rita, never with Ben, but I did butt heads <laughs> with Rita in the interest right. of, you know, she wants to be as good as she can be, and I want to sure. help her get there. And consequently, sometimes you're gonna you're gonna butt heads, um, mm-hmm. but ultimately, you know, when she saw the film. And the world premiere was at the Palm Springs Film Festival, and they sat Rita and I next to each other. We were not, we had been very close before. I used to go up to her apartment down the street. She used to let me play with her, her Oscar and her Emmy and her Tony. And um, we, were, we, were, we were cordial, um, but we sat next to each other. And five minutes into the movie, she leans over to me and she goes, Hey, this is pretty good. And I said, thank you. Ten minutes later, she leans over to me and says, hey, I'm really good at this. And I, I'm like, yeah, you are. Fifteen minutes later, she leans out. She goes like, I am so sorry. That's all right, Reed. I forgive you. Now, that's a professional. Yeah, of course it is. Of course. And then, of course, when we got on no. stage for the Q&A, she tried to grab the microphone mm-hmm. out of my hand. Oh, my goodness, Grace. Just look at that. Now, my only last question for you is this. Now, and we're all our own worst critic. That kind of goes without saying. So if I were to ask you right now and say to you, John, you know, looking back, have you ever second-guessed yourself in terms of either casting or direction that you've done? And you've thought to yourself, looking at after the fact and shaking your head like, no. That just wasn't um, my best one. I would say you know, every movie I've ever done, I'm, I'm really I'm happy I did. That which I don't think everybody nice. can say that. Um, I haven't done anything that I haven't re- honestly loved, at least, and some more than others, but obviously. Um, casting, yeah, there have been a couple of people that I ultimately was sorry I cast. One of them I had to fire. Uh, right. Uh, but the I would say other things have to do you know, with the second guessing comes in to play with, 
you know, the deal making, the, you know, dealing with, you know, dealing with the, the business side of the business is very sure. treacherous. And if you, and I've never really had, you know, I was roommates when, uh, I after, right after I did my, my first movie, we were just out of school and we lived, uh, a few of us lived on the Lower East Side on 13th Street between 2nd and 3rd, which was the block where a lot of taxi driver was shot, which we thought was so cool. And Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, and Rob Tappert lived with us because they were close to one of my <gasps> best friends from uh, from Emerson. Sam, of course, sure. went on to direct the Spider-Man movies and Oz, and they produced uh you know many hit tv shows xena hercules etc and xena. they yeah. were doing their first movie was evil dead which is a became a classic horror film oh yeah and okay sam became very 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 successful he's a sweetheart to this day he's a he's a nice, nice midwestern you know nice boy from michigan um same thing <laughs> with bruce campbell He's a mensch and a prince. Um, but Sam had something that is essential to, you know, that kind of huge success, which is a producer who is just devoted to that director. And I've never had that. So I've had to kind of do it. I, you know, so in the second guessing or that maybe you know, there are some people that I could have partnered up with. I've had many partners. That's probably where most of my misgivings actually would come. But again, that's sure. that's life. That's learning, and that goes for any any business. You, you know, of course, that goes without saying. You betcha. Now, if you would just let everybody know, obviously, our last question, and then we'll finish up the last thing, and you're all set. Tell everybody about, because obviously, of course, we're talking about the upcoming ones, which are shopping to the festival, which is, of course, the Networker. Sam yep. and Enchantments. If you could just tell the folks a little bit about each of those, please, yes. I'd appreciate we it. We have um, uh, the Networker, as I said, will world premiere at Soho, uh, SohoFilmFest.com, and uh, I, I directed that. I have another feature there um, called Enchantments, which I executive produced for a fantastic uh, writer, director, producer. She wrote, directed, produced, and stars in this romantic comedy, and it's a wonderful movie that I love. I'm so proud of her. I did, uh, I did the same thing uh, for a short film for her, and she's been in a bunch of my films. She's in the Networker, Kelsey O'Brien. Um, so that will also scream. And Sam is a switch comedy, romantic comedy again that I wrote with mm-hmm. Nick Brooks, who is the son of Mel Brooks. Mel yes. was our executive producer, and I produced the film with Nick and Sybil Santiago. And it stars mm-hmm. uh, Natalie Nepp, who's also in The Networker, and Sean Clyer, yep. and Stacey Keach, Brian Batt from Mad Men, Morgan Fairchild, and mm-hmm. it's a lovely, sweet feel-good movie that uh, Nick directed. It's, it's his directorial debut. 
and Mel exec produced. And this world premieres the second week of April uh, at the Nashville Film Festival, which is a top ten okay. festival. Mm-hmm. And then um, right. a short film that I wrote uh, and produced with the two uh, lead actresses, Samantha Scafidi, who's also in The Networker and is also in Sam, uh, and Mia Pinchoff is uh, premiering at the Ridgewood Guild Film Festival in Ridgewood, New Jersey, on April 30th. So uh, that's a, a very funny kind of a black comedy about two young actresses being interviewed off camera by me and talking about oh how they've come up together. And uh, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I I think we're going to get a lot of festival play with that. So with, the, with the features, you only really have about a year right. on the festival circuit. But short films can play like, you know, three. Uh, you know, like uh, right. three years. Um, so we're we're expecting a good a good run with with Act Naturally. Now you may have noticed that there's a lot of uh, you know these films are very incestuous. There's a lot of the actors. I mean, once you you find an actor, you know, or that you can work with, you suddenly you realize that you know you have a kind of a creative tribe, which I'm very mm-hmm. blessed to have and. Uh, Oh yeah. You know, I mean a lot of times I mean I can you know cast a movie out of my out of my phone book because I know <laughs> you know I know what I'm going to get. At the same time, I'm sure, always open always open to new talent. That's where the teaching really really comes in. Um you know, just uh uh and, and now I guess I'm kind of taking it on the road cuz I was just offered to teach a seminar in Washington D.C. Which is oh, nice. uh, should be kind of fun. A different, oh, you know, meet a, you know, different actors out out of the out of the marketplace here. So um, yeah, and then, and then hmm. whatever you know, then, then, then it's always a question of what's next. Is always a question of what where, what money comes through first, and you right. you know you kind of throw throw everything up against the wall. And kind of see what's what's what. There's a terrific script by uh, Bonnie DeBonis and Joe Bonnie called Cooked, which is written for Joey D'Onofrio. who's a terrific uh, actor. He was in played the young Joe Pesci mm-hmm. in Goodfellas. He's in Blue Moon, The Deli, Sam, The Networker, and Enchantments. He plays a double role. We're hoping to do that. Uh, this picture, Men of Violence, uh, The Brook Hollow Warriors. Uh, you know we have a, a pretty full, full slate of uh, of projects, and, and we'll see what awesome. what's next. You betcha. Now, before I forget, I'm just going to go through this rundown real quickly, and we'll finish the last little bit up, which is my reflections on you. And you are all set, Mr. John Gallagher. Um, I'm well, gonna read thank you so much. Listening. Oh, you're quite welcome. L- um, listen, folks, that you're listening in, and you can correct me real quickly, John. Um, your main website being jgmovie.com, of course, yep. 305mediagroup.org, networkermovie.com, which is, of course, the networker we talked about. Networker also it's, has a Facebook uh, page, the, so does uh, Sam. The, uh, the networkermovie.com. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, and there's then you, a Facebook of course, have page. Your personal... 
Mm-hmm. I'm sorry? No, I was just going to say, there's a Facebook page called The Networker Movie for the movie itself, as well as There's a website too. for there's The NetworkerMovie.com. There's also a Facebook okay. page for The Networker. Mm-hmm. There's a Facebook page mm-hmm. for Sam. Right. And there's a Facebook page for Act Naturally. That's what I thought. You also have an IMDb profile. Your work's also on YouTube. You have a Twitter handle, which is at JG Movie. And you're also, of yep. course, on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Now, in the last five minutes I got, I want you just to listen to this. These are reflections given to me by the actors and people that have worked with you. So you need to hear this because this is from people that you employ. And then I'll tell you my last little impressions. Um, what your actors say about you, one of the four top things that they admire so much about you is that you are loyal to every single person that you employ, that you have an impeccable eye for talent, um, meaning both in discovering them and then mentoring them and making them the best actors that they can be. You give proficient direction, but even more importantly, you listen, and you listen well to the actors that you employ. Um, and oftentimes you can get converse, get lost in conversation in the very best of ways possible, which I think is absolutely awesome. Now, in the last uh-huh. five minutes, which is all I have left because they're going to cut me off, I'm going to tell you, John Gallagher, what I think of you. Um, and then um, before I forget to ask you, and the, before I tell you what I think of you, I just want to throw this out to you. Um, I'm opening a storefront in the next month, and I forgot to ask you this question. Uh, one of the elements of this very artsy boutique I'm opening is a theater, um, and I would love I have to figure out a way to beg you to say, do you think I should, can I show John Gallagher shorts in my theater area? Would that yes. be okay? Can I do that? <gasps> yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Okay, well, that we'll talk about off air. So I'm going to real quickly give you my impressions. Oh, and by the way, oh, my God, just got, I finally got my friend request accepted by your castmate, Sean Young. Cannot say enough oh. about her. Love, love, love her. A huge shout out to Sean Young. Love her, but that we're not talking about her. We're talking about you right now. So the last three minutes, John Gallagher. These are my impressions of you, and I will let you get off of air since you've been so gracious to give me so much time. One of the best things that I learned about you in the first five minutes of a telephone conversation that I had with you is that there is no pomp or no circumstance when it comes to John Gallagher. What you see is what you get from the picture that you look on Facebook to any of the productions that he produces. Everybody that works for you, works under you, works next to you, works with you, has the same passion, the same purpose, and the same love for the craft that you do. You are not arrogant. You are not balls-to-the-walls type, which is for lack of a better term to put it. You embrace every single project with the same zeal and excitement and enthusiasm that you did the very first time 30 years ago. The fact that you love the silent film era just befuddles me to no end, and I think it's lovely and fabulous. <laughs> there are not enough adjectives in the dictionary to describe how much I am in awe of you, how much I respect your work, but more importantly, you are an actor's director, and that is such, such a missing element in Hollywood today. I cannot even tell you. I would be the first one to stand in line for every production you'll ever do. I pray that you'll invite me to every film festival opening that you have. Yes. Um, I'm just... I'm bewildered and flattered, and I just am beside myself that you gave me this much time. I just cannot thank you enough. It's been lovely. Well, my pleasure, Cindy. Thank you <laughs> so, so much for listening. Thank you. Oh, you're quite and welcome. We'll speak I very you soon. I very impressed. I hope. Yes, definitely. I'll reach out I to you. I'll was. be in touch with you, and we'll talk about all and the movies really and all questions. that good stuff. Should I do okay? 
Really? Absolutely. You, you, no honestly, when you listen back, you were, there are a couple of, I mean, you have some really some like good questions. Yay! I did you keep good doing it. I want to hear you. I, I want to hear you interview uh, Sean and Steve and and, and uh, yeah. Oh my God! And, and right, William. William. I, man, I'll and come live. Fra- yeah, a live and, interview. Yes. Yeah. We could do like a live yeah. interview. I could do like a whole room full of stuff. We'll talk about that off air. You yeah, come to New York and do a do a whole series. Heck yes, Sweet. I would. I would love that. Well, we'll, we'll okay. Talk about listen, it off there. I'll let you off. Congratulations. Congratulations on the boutique. <laughs> Thank you, darling. I'll talk to you very soon. Okay, all the best. Bye-bye. All right, John, thanks. All right. right? Can I even begin to describe it? Can I, I don't even know what to say. i just beside myself. It was like going back to old Hollywood for the last two hours. My huge debt of gratitude to John Gallagher, obviously, for his time. Huge shout-out, like I said. We covered, oh, my God, I don't even know how many people. Michael Madsen. William Forsythe, we've talked about Frank Vincent, we've talked about Vincent Pastore, we've talked about Steve Stanielis, uh got to throw out John Thompson's name, holla, huge holler to John Thompson, absolutely love him as an actor, along with all the other fellow actors and friends that I know that are on the network or movie. Once again, one more time, the site for John Gallagher, jgmovie.com, 305mediagroup.org, thenetworkermovie.com, John Gallagher is a Facebook page, which is personal. He also has one for both Sam and the Networker movie. He has an IMDb, IMDb profile. That's how you know I've been on the air too long. YouTube, his book is, of course, on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And, of course, his Twitter handle is J, at JGMovie, period. So please do your best to support all of his endeavors. I'm very proud to hear him say that, yes, I can carry his films in my theater. Score! And don't forget, everybody, 3 o'clock Central Standard Time, we're doing the Sisters of Grace, of course, um, talking about their website about climate control and change. So tune in tomorrow, 3 o'clock Central Standard Time. I'm off to cook myself some dinner, have a glass of wine, and find out what the night brings to me. So we'll talk to you guys tomorrow.